to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are back in the Beatitudes this week as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. The title of today's message is The Lowly and the Longing. What does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Keep listening to find out as Pastor Roy helps us understand these two blessings. I encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. A couple of weeks ago, we started off talking about the poor in spirit. Uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about what that meant uh, to come to God like a beggar. Uh, God longs for us to come to him with total dependency upon him and recognize the insufficiency in ourselves. And then secondly, he talks about blessed are those who mourn, those who are broken over their sin. They realize that we have violated God's law, and we are guilty, and we are absolutely broken. We are sorry that we have broken God's law, and we deserve eternal wrath and judgment. But God in grace and mercy has forgiven us at the cross, only because of the cross, And so that's the kind of life that God will bless uh, when we realize that we come as beggars and we come as broken. Today we focus on the lowly and the longing. And notice these are things that are not popular in our culture. When you talk about being a beggar and being broken, that is not popular. When you talk about being lowly and longing, that is not popular. But let's look on in verse 5 and 6 today. Blessed are the meek. Jesus said, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the first thing we see here is the lowly. Um, You'll have to advance that. I don't have the clicker there, Bill. The lowly. Who are the lowly? Well, that's the people who are meek. The people who are meek. What does it mean to be meek? It means to be humbly patient or docile, even when under provocation from others. That's the hard part, is when somebody absolutely provokes me, I still respond with humility and patience. At least that's what I'm supposed to do. And God will bless me when I do that. It also means that I am free from rebellion and pride. I do not rebel against God. I do not even rebel against what he is trying to do in my life. I receive it as from him, and I respond accordingly. And I do not respond with pride either. And so all of that, I believe, translates into this third thing, likeness to Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus is saying is, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are like me, (laughs) for they will inherit the earth. That God is going to bring great blessing as we become like Jesus. So let's talk about some things that help us become like Jesus. The first one is tongue management. Oh boy, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a tongue management class? (laughs) I've never been to a tongue management class, have you? Where they actually teach you how to use your tongue and control it. I mean, it reminds me of the mounted fish on the wall. He said, if I just would have kept my mouth shut, I wouldn't be here. 
Have you ever felt like that? If I just would have kept my mouth shut, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in this pickle. I wouldn't be in this fix. But because I open my mouth, I'm in trouble. Management of the tongue is vital. And you know what? A meek person has control of their tongue. Even under provocation, they keep control of their tongue. Titus 3.2 says, To slander no one, or to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. I do not blast people with my tongue. Which brings to mind a question. What are the contributing factors that cause a person to verbally assault another person? Well, I think the answer is actually found in Ephesians 4.31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. What causes somebody to slander someone? I think it's someone who is bitter, someone who is enraged, and someone who is full of anger and likes conflict. And because of that, they cannot manage their tongue. And yet, we have the perfect example in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, 7, as Isaiah writes about our Savior, he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shears is silent. In other words, the very people that were crucifying Jesus, that were harassing him, that were not only harassing him, they were humiliating him. And in his humiliation and in his harassment and in his mistreatment, he did not open his mouth. I don't know about you, but that's, that's big. That's big. Aren't there more people that have turned you off to Christianity because of their mouth more than anything else? <laughs> because of what they say. And yet this very word here talks about getting angry at the right time, in the right measure, and for the right reason. If we could just get angry at the right time, in the right measure, and for the right reason. Aristotle says it's the middle standing between two extremes, getting angry without reason and not getting angry at all. Peter reminds us, he says, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Think about that. It is commendable, he says, if a man who goes through something that he does not deserve He is unjustly treated, and yet he does it because he's conscious of God. There's a God consciousness to a meek person that tells me. I am more conscious and sensitive to God and how am I responding and what I look like to God than I am what I look like to my fellow man. That's significant. And it goes on to say he committed no sin... And no deceit was found in his mouth. And then I'm, Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, and I want to bring, highlight this, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Now, wait a minute. Let's stop for a moment. Who wrote those words? 
Peter. What kind of tongue did Peter have? Not a very controlling one early on. But you know what? Over time, the Holy Spirit got a hold of Peter's life and he became very spirit-controlled. But earlier, Peter was the very one, wasn't he, that denied Jesus three times with his tongue? Where was his tongue management? And then he says, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And then Peter was also the one at the transfiguration of Christ. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's build some tabernacles. What a ridiculous idea when he's in the presence of Jesus. Peter was also the one who piped up when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples and said, no, you shall never wash my feet. Matthew 14, Jesus walks on the water. Bashful Peter once again opens his mouth and allows his tongue to get him in trouble. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. (laughs) He had a tongue problem. But it is interesting how over time, now Peter is not only has control of his tongue, but he's encouraging his brothers and sisters in Christ. If you want to love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil and deceitful speech. So here's my point. It's encouraging to me because it shows that we can be one way and God can make us another way. I can be changed. I can't say, well, this is the way I was raised. This is the way I do it. No, the Spirit of God, if we're willing to become a meek individual and ask God to help us control our tongue, we can by His grace. The psalmist said in Psalm 17, 3, Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing. I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. Boy, that's a great verse. I have resolved that with my mouth I will not sin. So tongue management shows us that we are a meek individual. Secondly is gentleness. Gentleness. I don't think I have this particular verse listed, but listen to it in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Now, in the Amplified Bible, here's what it says. It talks about, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, and here's what it means by spiritual, who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit. That's what it means to be spiritual, to be responsive to and controlled by the Spirit. You restore that person gently. And some people, boy, as soon as somebody does wrong, they want to blast them. Oh, let's, t- let's bring judgment on them. Let's do that. And yet the Bible says we should restore them gently and with, actually, other translations will say, with meekness. With meekness. Gentleness refers to actions. Meekness focuses on attitude. Meekness, therefore, then produces gentleness. So that meek spirit is what makes a person gentle. How are you with your tongue? Are you gentle? Or is it slanderous? I think one of the greatest pictures we probably could think about would be an elephant. Elephants are strong. They have used them for logging. They can carry logs. They can uproot trees. uh, But they're gentle. And they're especially gentle when they are tamed from a young age. The elephant trunk 
contains more than 40,000 individual muscles and is strong enough to rip branches from trees. But listen to this. But it is sensitive enough to pick up a single blade of grass. Gentle and yet strong. And that's what meekness is. It is controlled strength. That we're not just these weak people and we get walked all over. That's what it means. No, there's a gentle strength to what we have. A trained elephant illustrates a beautiful picture of strength and gentleness. A third thing is humility. A modest estimation of our own worth. What do we see in a person who has a modest estimation of their own worth? Well, they're very generous and forgiving. They avoid resentment or revenge, and they're unselfish. That's what it means to be humble, to be willing to forgive, to avoid resentment. They, they, they actually strive for this idea of unity. <laughs> you know, instead of, you know, fighting to go... They'll, they'll be willing to go along and help. And that's why it says in Psalm 37, 11, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. There's an element of peace that comes when you have tongue management, when you have gentleness, and when you have humility. There's a peace that permeates that place. And the fourth one I want to mention is surrender to God. We see this very clearly in the life of Moses. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. What a compliment. And in the Amplified Bible, it says he was very meek, gentle, kind, and humble. And yet, what did God call Moses to do? He led over a million people through the wilderness for 40 years. I don't know about you, but to hang around with a million people who grumble and complain and bellyache, that takes a meek individual. Because <laughs> I don't like to hang around those kind of people. And yet God called Moses to do that, to lead those people, grumbling, bellyaching constantly. And yet Moses was a very meek individual. And God used him in an incredible way. And so I think God can do that when we are surrendered to him. And what did God do? God took him up on a mountain and he had a burning bush and he spoke to Moses out of that bush. And what did Moses do? He went over and he focused on that bush, but he focused on the voice of God. And when we surrender to God, we are listening to the voice of God. Are we willing to do that? Over the voice of man. We're willing to listen to the voice of God. And I think that is crucial. I have that God consciousness. I want to carry out the Father's will. And that's what Moses, at first he was like, hey, send somebody else. <laughs> I don't feel like I can, I'm up to this. And God says, no, you can. There's also a teachability factor in someone who's surrendered to God. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There is a teachability factor. I remember a number of years ago when I was in, in sales, uh, one guy told me he went to train another guy. And it was interesting. He said the guy was not teachable at all. 
he said he was doing things wrong and he said he, he just got tired of trying to correct him and correct him because he would not listen. And so he said he finally determined he's going to go to the next store and he would pull into that store and he said he would just let him do it his way. And he said, so he pulled in that store and he said he, that we had these two-wheel dollies that sat in the back of the truck. He pulled out that two-wheel dolly and instead of putting the wheels on the ground, he had the wheels in the air and he starts loading bread on. Now, how in the world is he going to get that in the store? <laughs> and he said he just let him go because every time he told him, tried to tell him something, he said, I know, I know, I know how to do it. And he couldn't tell him. And maybe sometimes God wants to teach us something. God, I know. <laughs> I know. I know how it's supposed to be. And yet we're not teachable. And God wants us to be teachable. James one twenty one says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The other translation in the King James says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word. A meek person receives the word of God. When you hear the word of God, you don't do this, and you don't do this. Your God, speak to me, teach me, train me, equip me. Because what does 2 Timothy 3.16 say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and what? Instruction in righteousness. And that's what we're going to look at next is righteousness. That very idea of being righteous before the Lord. When I think about meekness, I couldn't help but think about yesterday I shared about Eric Little uh, in the funeral service for those who were here. Many of you know that Eric Little ran in the 1924 Olympics, but he would not compete on Sunday on the Lord's Day because he said he had a conviction about running on the Sabbath. And he would not run on the Lord's Day. And so he ended up running in a 400-meter race on another day, a race that he was not trained for, and he won that race. Well, on February 11, 1945, Eric Little suffered a minor stroke. Several days later, a young teenage nurse named Joyce Strang stopped in to visit with Eric, and she recalls Eric talking about the need to surrender one's will to God in everything one did. He said, in our attitudes, not what we wanted to do and felt like doing, but what God wanted us to do. I thought, man, what an attitude. Not what I want to do. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to accomplish? Years earlier, in 1924, Eric Little penned these words. And maybe that's why he could handle the stroke so well. He said, have you learned to hear God's voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it? Have you learned to obey? Do you realize the tremendous issue that may be at stake? And then he continued writing these words. He said, if I know something to be true, and I prepared to follow it, even though it is contrary to what I want, will I follow it? If it means being laughed at by friend or foe, or if it means personal financial loss, or some kind of hardship. And then I thought, well, what do people think about Eric Little? Um, his friend, A.P. Cullen, who had known Eric most of his life, 
summed up his friend's life in a camp memorial service on March 3, 1945. And here's what his friend said about him. He was literally God-controlled in his thoughts, judgments, actions, and words to an extent I have never seen surpassed and rarely seen equaled. Every morning he rose early to pray and read the Bible in silence, talking and listening to God, pondering the day ahead, and often smiling as if at a private joke. What a testimony. What a testimony. What a challenge from a young man. What keeps you out of God's word? Busyness? Time? Video games? Movies? <laughs> what keeps us from this book? Because this is really what's going to help us become the meek people God wants us to be, is by being in God's word on a regular basis. Let's talk about the longing for righteousness. What does it mean? What does he mean by this idea of righteousness? He means uprightness and right standing with God. So therefore, it's our position. The believer's position is what? We have been placed in Christ. Our position in Christ is based on grace and faith. Ephesians 1.4, it says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. God chose us to be in Christ before the creation of the world. Why is that important for righteousness? Because I cannot become a righteous person. God makes me righteous. God is the one who does that. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 4.3 when he talks about Abraham. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So it's not the works that makes me righteous. It's the fact that I came to Christ as a beggar. I came to Christ broken. I came to Christ lowly. And I have this longing to serve the Lord. But only God can give me that righteousness. Because the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we, through the righteousness of Christ might become righteous through his death. So my righteousness comes as a result of Jesus dying on the cross and paying the penalty for my sin. I don't become righteous. Now, that's my position. My position then is one of right standing before God because of what Jesus did on the cross and me putting my faith and trust in Jesus. But beyond that, there is a not only a position of righteousness, there's a practice of righteousness. And I think both are important, but before we can practice righteousness, we have to be positionally placed in the righteousness of Jesus. And I do that when I recognize I'm a sinner. When I realize I violated God's law, I'm a sinner, I deserve eternal wrath and judgment. And because of that, I cast myself at God's mercy and his grace and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God saves me 
Now I'm in a position of righteousness. So now, because I've been placed in this position of righteousness, I begin to practice righteousness out of that position. And that is crucial. I don't begin to practice righteousness to become a godly person. I practice righteousness because I've been made godly through Jesus Christ. And I hope we can follow that. It's so vital that we understand that position. Because Paul writes in Romans 3, 21, he says, Now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's where that righteousness comes from, from my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Once I've been positionally made righteous, now the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I have this new righteousness within me that comes from God. And now my practice is this, the believer's practice. What do I practice as a result of being positionally made righteous? I pursue righteousness. You cannot tell me that I've been placed in a position of righteousness before God and I pursue sin. I pursue paganism. I pursue immorality. I pursue pornography. I pursue all these things. No, you pursue righteousness. Why? Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Who is going to hunger and thirst after righteousness? The only one who has been placed in Christ positionally. If I have been placed in Christ positionally, my life is changed, it is transformed, and that my desire, my hunger, my thirst, my desire is righteousness. To live like Jesus. To be meek like Jesus. To be filled with Jesus. That's my desire. That's my passion. That's why the psalmist said, Oh God, you are my God. Early in the morning I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. But God, I'm seeking you because you changed my life. I pursue righteousness. And Paul in his letter to Timothy said, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul, in the very last letter he wrote to Timothy before he was translated to glory, 2 Timothy, he says it again, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. How do I pursue righteousness? I mentioned a moment ago 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and what? Instruction in righteousness. So I look in scripture to see how I am to behave. And I try to line myself up with the word of God. And oh, is there a spiritual battle. You know, as I was putting together this message about meekness this week, there were some things that came into my life. I'm like, I would not care to be meek right now. <laughs> Actually, when we came back from our vacation, um, from back east, we had our, I had my pickup truck. We drove to Minneapolis, and we flew out of Minneapolis and came back. And when we came back, we got back at, uh, what, about 8 o'clock at night on Friday night. And so you're tired. You've been traveling all day. And, and we got back to my truck. It was kind of cold. 
I went to open the tailgate, and it wouldn't open. I'm like, oh, no. Couldn't get it open, so we had to cram three of us in the front seat and one in the little seat and lifted the other seat and put all the luggage in, and we were all crammed in there. And we had a five-hour trip home. And we still hadn't gotten anything to eat. So now we're tired and hungry and cranky and whatever. And the last thing was on my mind was being meek. Um, and so we looked on our phone for a Target and went and got a de-icer, sprayed de-icer in there and finally got on the road about 10 o'clock at night and got home about 3.30. I'm like, meekness was not in my vocabulary that night. <laughs> so it's a challenge, isn't it? When we go through those little irritations of life, but you know what? What was God trying to say? Roy, here's an opportunity for you to be meek. I didn't want it. <laughs> Anybody not want to vote for some of those times? I mean, sometimes you just don't want to be meek. Sometimes I want to be mean. I think you can relate to that. So we pursue righteousness. The second one, we plant peace. James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Did you catch that? Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If you want to have a righteous community, a righteous church, guess what? We need peacemakers. (laughs) We need people who want to get along and serve together and be unified in the body of Christ for the purpose of advancing God's glory and God's kingdom and not be concerned about my own agenda and opinion as much. That's it. We plant peace. Why? Because I'm a meek individual. I'm pursuing righteousness and therefore I am planting peace because I'm pursuing righteousness. Wow. To be a peace planter. You can't have too many of those in a church. Can you? And that's what we need. The third one. Partakes of spiritual meat. You're not on the milk of God's word anymore. It's not the little ABCs in John 3.16 and that's all you know. God, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hand we are fed. We've got to get way beyond that if we're going to pursue righteousness. And in Hebrews 5.13, here's what it says. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. Did you catch that? If you're still on milk, you are not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So if there's a lack of discernment in your life, it's probably because you're still on milk and you need to graduate to the meat and ask God to help you. Grow in your understanding of the Bible, your knowledge of the Bible, but not just knowledge, but applying it to your life. The fourth one, and I'm going to close with this one, perseveres in discipline. Perseveres in discipline. This is a practice of a believer who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12:11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, here's the great difficulty, I think, in discipline. I don't always recognize, I'm saying myself, 
I don't always recognize when God is disciplining me. Why? Because he doesn't come up and say, Roy, I'm disciplining you right now, and then he gives me the discipline. (laughs) You know, we try to do that with our kids, but sometimes I have to be in the middle of it or maybe even toward the backside of it, and then it's like, it kind of hits me, Roy, I'm disciplining you right now. That's why you're going through this. (laughs) Oh, now I get it. And yet God is so patient. And so sometimes I think we miss the fact when God is taking us through a difficulty because what is discipline? Discipline is correction. It's correction. And so what is God trying to do? Well, he may be taking me through something to correct my faulty thinking. And I don't recognize it. I'm still thinking wrongly and he's trying to correct that. Discipline is correction. It's instruction as well. You give instruction and discipline. God is instructing me, maybe through a trial. Did you ever consider that? Why is God allowing me to go through this? Well, I think he's trying to instruct you through that trial. He is trying to correct something in your life to make you more meek, to make me more meek, to make me want to pursue righteousness. Let me just give you one more verse. The effect of righteousness is peace. The fruit of righteousness, it says in Isaiah 32, 17, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Where are you in terms of being lowly and longing? What I mean by lowly is meek, humbly patient, even when under provocation from others. And where are you in the longing process where you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to pursue that in your life. What did you do this weekend? Were you any place? Did you do anything? Did you say anything that would indicate that you are not this kind of person that God is going to bless? You know, I have to confess, I get very concerned about some of the games that are out there for our young people. Well, adults play them too, that are violent, that I think kill compassion in us. We are so exposed to so much violence, and it kills the idea of meekness in our lives, compassion for others. This may be hard to believe. I was thinking about, it's been almost two years that I've had an iPhone. I have yet to play a single game on it. (laughs) I just haven't found time. Because there's only so much time in a day, and what are we going to do with the time God has given us? And I think every time I do a funeral, I'm reminded that time is short. It is short And yet when I read some of the biographies of some of the young people that have 
changed our, our world. When I think about people like Jim Elliott and Hudson Taylor, Eric Little, who in their teens and 20s were very serious about pursuing God. I challenge you as young people, you are the next generation of the church. I challenge you to pursue righteousness. You're the leaders. God is using this time to shape you and equip you for the future. Are you going to blow it off? Are you going to say, God, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Use me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You sit there and you have internal conflict in your heart. Internal conflict. Or maybe you have utter rebellion in your heart. You are not interested in pursuing God. And you blow him off. My friend, this is another opportunity of the grace of God reaching out to you. Would you reach out to him? Would you humbly receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul? For those of us who are believers, that the meekness and gentleness of Christ would permeate our lives and that we would pursue righteousness because we've been placed in a position of righteousness. If you have a spiritual need in your life, I'll be shaking hands at the back door. Please see me or see someone about your eternal soul. And I mean that. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.